Hello and welcome to the EG Property Podcast with me, EG Editor Sam McClary. Today's podcast is focused on sustainability and real estates and the country's drive to become net zero by 2050. Over the next 30 minutes or so, myself and a quartet of experts will be discussing the carbon trajectory and the challenges that face us if we really are to reach our 2050 goals. It's a conversation that very quickly turns to a discussion about the need for regulation and a discussion that unapologetically raises the question of cost. It's a conversation that could have gone on for much longer and keep your ears primed for round two sometime in the new year when we'll take an even closer look at the economics of doing the right thing. But for now, you know what to do. Either sit back with your cuppa, lace up your trainers for some outside time with your obviously favourite podcast or wherever else you like to consume your regular EG hour or treat and enjoy. Cities, behaviour and the carbon trajectory is the topic of our conversation today. Cities in the UK and around the world have set themselves ambitious net zero carbon targets. Achieving these is an imperative. But how do we do that and still enable livable, thriving and prosperous places? Today, we'll discuss the challenges and opportunities in that and joining me to do that are four experts. Uh, I'm going to ask each of them very shortly to introduce themselves and tell us what they believe the biggest challenges facing us in delivering truly carbon neutral cities is. We'll then discuss how we can overcome these challenges and the role that the real estate government and society has to play in that. So first, I'm going to pass to Gordon from 10 Design to introduce himself and and tell us what he believes the biggest challenge um, facing us is. Yeah, hi. Uh, hello, my name is Gordon Affleck. I'm a design partner at 10 Design. Uh, we're an international firm of architects working across Asia, Middle East, Europe and States. Uh, I, I suppose that the, the, it's, there's not really one specific challenge, I think. It's, it's such a systematic challenge. Kind of mindset change uh, for the way we have to approach the design of, of the, not just buildings and urban scape in cities, but just also the, the cultural change. I think we, we approach as individuals. Uh, but I think in, in terms of purely buildings, I think it's starting to think of the buildings as a, as a much as a kind of included piece of a bigger puzzle. So the buildings aren't just a place to live; it's also part of a bigger social network. We are looking at new ways of reducing transport and new places to. You know, mixed use developments that people want to stay within and you know the buildings become more about a machine where it's part of energy production as well as conservation perhaps even uh, taking the food chain with, with food production it's just such a kind of complex multi-level challenge and it really requires a kind of complete mind shift uh, a change of mindset i think from 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 the populace not in terms of just from government but for everybody to participate so it's not really just not just a, a multi, a single problem question. Uh, Fantastic, thank you. So we'll we'll discuss how we how we manage to change people's minds mindset a bit later. Uh, I'm I'm sure that's really really <laughs> really easy. That will be um, a a key challenge, I believe. Um, passing next over to Claudine. Claudine, hello. Hi, hello. Um, my name is Claudine Blamey. I head up sustainability and digital strategy at Argent. Um, I've been doing this a long time, um, over 25 years in various organisations. Um, 
so so I guess I've got different perspectives but and I completely agree with Gordon I think it is a systemic um, issue and a problem and we mustn't look at decarbonisation and taking carbon out of all our lives and businesses as um, as a single faceted thing at all because we'll end up with probably lots of unintended consequences. However, I do have one thing I want to mention as a big challenge for our industry, um, and that's the embodied carbon piece. We've paid a lot of attention to operational carbon and, and how we reduce that. And um, really, of course, we have to build efficient buildings, but then I think we haven't really tackled properly the embodied carbon of materials that we use to build our buildings and really think through the life cycle of our buildings so that in refurbishments um, at the end of its life we are using less and less carbon to deal with those um, issues so I think that's a big challenge. Fantastic thank you Claudine. Um, over next to Colin. Hi, so I'm Colin, I'm Managing Director of Elliot. Uh, we're a sustainable engineering firm. We're working with 10 designers around the, the world to, to address uh, exactly these issues. What we've found in working with governments in, in strategic plans that we've done for the Paris governments or with the London uh, authorities uh, in the last few years is that we really need to address on one hand the, the behavior of, 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 of users of cities as Gordon was said but we also have to give um, quantifiable objectives within a regulation format which is a bit of a boring response but without regulations and strict regulations in place um, the influencers cannot have the levers that, that actually go as far as to, to as to really um, accelerate the change which is required uh, to 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 access the, the the goals that were set out in the in the Paris Climate Agreement. Um, I love that, and 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 you're not the first person to um, talk about regulation and the need for it, and I, I always find that fascinating and something that would be really good to discuss later because this sector isn't a sector that ordinarily would call for more regulation, but around around this it, it seems like it is and, I, and I, I like that idea of we need it to give those influencers the leverage so we'll definitely come back to that thank you Colin um last but by no means least Arif hello how are you hi how are you uh thank you for uh hosting us uh so I'm Arif Laham I'm an MD of uh, Orion Capital Managers which is a European European private equity group which means we are investors we invest in real estate and of course, investors want to buy zero carbon buildings. That is the future and uh, people are pushing for that. But we also uh, develop and uh, uh, fund buildings to be built. And uh, even though operational carbon, we've been able to sort of uh, uh, pay for architects and designers to produce uh, uh, carbon efficient operational buildings, uh, the embodied carbon, as uh, my colleague said, is still is still a problem. And, and the biggest challenge I find is that in terms of renovating our buildings in the cities to meet uh, our, our carbon deadlines uh, is who's going to pay for it and how are we going to make the financial equation work out? Uh, because uh, the costs of, of, of turning them into zero carbon, especially renovations, etc., 
is 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 expensive uh and and the cost equation doesn't always work out so that that is the biggest challenge i think that we have fantastic thank you so i think we've got we've got four key points there to 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 chat around and so changing mindset the the problem of em, embodied carbon and really looking at this the lifestyle of, of uh, lifestyle life cycle of uh, of buildings um connected to that is the is the cost which um i think sometimes we we shy away from talking about and then and then regulation so let's let's start first um with embodied carbon and and the cost and you know how how big a issue that that really is how we um make people under, understand more about the the issue of embodied carbon and what steps that we can take to to help people on the on the journey of of reducing reducing that so uh, i'm going to throw that first to to you claudine sure um so I, I can come at this from a very practical perspective because we're looking at this at the moment um in developing the Brent Cross town, uh, which is a whole new town for those of you who don't know, um, 10 million square feet of space, um, 180 acres town centre development, basically. And um, this will be sort of delivered by Argent related and uh, with, in partnership with Brent Council. Um, and it's a mixed use uh, town, as you can imagine. Um, but in the heart of it, there's uh, 50 acres of parkland and playing fields. Um, with office space, uh, homes, you know, 6,700 homes and so on. So it, this really gives us an opportunity to look at um, not just the building, but also the public realm in terms of uh, the embodied carbon piece. And we, we've set ourselves a very ambitious target of being a net zero carbon town by 2030 at the latest. So um, in order to do that, we are setting a, a framework to help our supply chain to respond to that and setting some targets. You know, we, we want to reduce the amount of material used in these buildings and the public realm. Um, we want to have materials that have decreased content um, of carbon like concrete, um, more recycled content in steel, which reduces its carbon emissions switching to more renewable materials like timber um, so and then understanding which i think is really important um, the actual impact of every material we use in its whole life cycle so we have said that we will do life cycle assessments and analysis on everything that we use every building every plot on that master plan um, and that I think is going to help us try and deliver this. Um, what I think is challenging at the moment is that there isn't a real standard out there to, to follow. Um, UK Green Building Council have set advanced net zero framework, but um, I think we need a bit more around the embodied piece uh, and a bit more of an agreement what that looks like and, and how it's measured as a part of that. Fantastic, thank you, uh, Colin. I'm going to come next to to you on that on that same same point as a from an engineering pers perspective. Is how how big is that embodied carbon problem for from your perspective? 
It, it's huge. I'm, I'm I'm really really pleased to hear that being a core subject for today because when when we analyse the UK market, obviously the targets are all uh, the carbon, which is when we talk about net zero carbon in in the UK at the moment, we talk about the carbon related to the energy uh, of buildings or the or the and not the the carbon related to the materials itself and it's a it's a massive part of how to really go towards a carbon neutral uh, you know how to get onto a carbon neutral trajectory um to go back to regulations boring subjects again <laughs> um in 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 france we're bringing out at the the beginning of next year uh, something called the re 2020 which for the very first time in the world uh, is a regulations which is um, uh, which puts the 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 long-term carbon uh, and embodied carbon uh, part within regulations itself as a as an objective, and it's a it's a massive uh, game changer. We see it as a massive game changer from the from the from the reactions of the concrete lobbyists uh, in in France who are incredibly strong. Uh, who've been fighting this regulation for the last couple of years because for the first time the real long-term impact of, of carbon within timber structures and biosource materials will actually allow um, uh, developers to, to obtain a, a, a different le level of certification. Uh, they also take into account the, the timeline and uh, the long-term timeline of how that carbon is uh, sequestered within the structures themselves. Uh, and so even though over a construction period we can compare two materials and their and their and their carbon footprint uh and 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 say that uh things can be relatively similar in terms of embodied carbon over a, a longer time frame and how these materials could be reused uh, uh and how the carbon is then re-released back into the to the atmosphere um again uh, biosource materials have a much 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 bigger impact and Although regulations are boring, they actually do have a huge e economic benefit for developers uh, in in kickbacks on how people want to invest in in projects. And worldwide, we see that uh, pension funds or, or or property developers are seeing financial gains in in larger investment and willingness to invest in projects which do follow these trajectories. Thanks, Colin. That sets me up perfectly to go to to Arif and talk and talk about it from from an investment point of to view. And I, and I just wonder, Arif, from a as an investor, is there is there a way for you to be able to, I guess, put a price on on embodied carbon and look at what the value of a building is based on on that? And is is the sort of regulation that Colin just talked about a a, a welcome thing for for you as an investor? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, regulations is great because uh, it gives you a label by which an investor who invested in a building can sort of be guaranteed that he is investing in an environmentally friendly building. Mm. And 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 I think investors are going to be wanting that more and more and would want to invest only in these sort of green buildings. So there is a huge a wave of that there's not that many of them and the laws of supply and demand sort of work in that sense and yes you should be able to sell a green building more expensively than a non-green building but also um you know i think investors so we recently for example bought uh, british telecoms headquarters in london opposite st paul's an existing building which we needed to renovate 
And the questions that we posed ourselves was, you know, there is embodied carbon there and actually retaining some of the, of the of of the structure helps hugely in sort of uh, getting us to a zero carbon uh, uh, building that we want to get to. So basically, uh, you know, we've retained the primary structure on the existing floors. We've retained basements and rough construction. Oh, we've lost our carbon in there. Uh, we are able to you. Sorry. That's what we lost you just for a second, Arav. Sorry. So the embodied carbon in the building, ideally, uh, we want to keep as much of it as possible. And whatever we've demolished, we're going to reuse uh, the materials and as much as possible into the building. And, and hopefully, yes. Sorry, no, carry, sorry. No, carry on. Sorry, I interrupted. So and 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 uh, the whole, you know, by by working with our designers and architects early on, hopefully we are able then to make that work financially for us as well as produce a zero carbon building which i think at the end of the day institutional investors will want to own uh at at a good price but it's it's it is uh it is a delicate balance absolutely balance. absolutely and, and, and carry on sorry so, sorry and the, and the challenge is you know in terms of well-being and and people want to live in 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 uh in 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 brand new office buildings etc the challenge is how do you actually uh, uh give that to the final users and investors but but at the same time uh, saving as much as possible of the embodied carbon in our existing buildings and and i think that's that's a great challenge uh, which we've taken on in this particular building which will succeed but i think it's a, you can generalize that over lots of cities if you like can, can I just compliment that um, in in that it, what what we're seeing in the large urban centres and uh, across the world is that there's a huge cultural shift uh, from wanting a, a brand new car type building and 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 wanting something which is integrated within an existing urban fabric. Renovation restructuration are are something that that, that people are much more willing to invest in today, and the and the fact that the the city if we are to to get onto this carbon trajectory properly, the fact that it has to build on top of itself, within itself, and using its urban mining of materials um, is essential. Densification of urban centres is also essential to deal with the 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 the, the transport mobility and and human and and, and user uh, behaviour uh, parts of of this trajectory also. So it's it's a fantastic cultural shift that we're seeing. Absolutely. And Gordon, maybe you can come in there to talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing from from an architectural point of view. Are you seeing more of a demand for people wanting to to reuse and um, and refurbish and and think about, you know, don't just tear it down and put something new and spangly up. Let's um let's think about the the footprint of this this building as it already exists. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, we're working on a large-scale master plan in the Ukraine right now where we're trying to renovate a 100-hectare site, which used to be uh, an old uh, Soviet factory for, for tractors. Uh, and we're trying to, to maintain the majority of the structure where we can. Uh, in fact, the majority of, of, the, of the spaces we can and just, and just redevelop working with... Uh, both uh, colliers and the client to try and think of ways that we can 
these are quite quite unique spaces that actually drive those the unique quality of those spaces into new business models as attractions for, for sort of turning the factory into the new logistics centers and so on uh, and also re-catering re for some of the kind of larger industrial halls for new kind of F&B complexes. It's quite, it's quite an intriguing sort of place where the, the development has now been seen as a chance to create a new urban park for the city. So rather than being a very kind of carbon heavy, uh, carbon heavy generator uh, and also pollution for the city, it's, it's now become a new kind of green heart. Uh, and I think throughout the it's incredibly important to think that how we can reutilize stock. I think between 25 to 30 percent of the carbon uh, in the lifestyle of a building is in its construction. If you can cut that out of it, then essentially, you know, you, the, the, the counterbalance to have a, having a building being carbon neutral over its lifetime is reduced drastically. Uh, so I, I think reutilizing stock is going to come, if you, if you consider 67 percent of any any uh, city in the next by 2030 is still going to be existing stock that has to be addressed mm. so it's not necessarily a, a, a big shift which is there it's a necessity it is there a, just, uh, yeah of course uh, I, I was just going to add something to that i think we we talk about refurbishments and and renewing our um, existing stock and we talk about you know we've talked about commercial buildings but i think there's also an element of trying to um, obviously do stuff about our homes as well and, and how we can influence people to actually take that step. There's been you know, lots of incentives. Government has offered lots of incentives, but people haven't taken them up. I just think we, we need to make it a lot easier for people to do that um, and then you know, back it up with... Um, government incentives to really drive that forward it's that's that's the bit I think that's been really challenging as well I love that idea of of you know the the commercial sector being an influencer across across um the consumer sector as as well I think that would be a really powerful thing for this for this industry to do and uh, the the question I was going to ask there and and you've kind of um started to answer it there Claudine was you know the the driver for this and how we change that that mindset of um you know utilizing what we what we've got doing what we can with what we already have and where where the push is coming from and we've already um heard from Arif that investors want to buy um uh, uh net zero buildings or, or or carbon light um buildings is it is it also coming from the the man or lady on the street and and from occupiers as well where's where where is it coming from and where should it be coming from so sh should i have a go at that go uh, for it first um given my background at easyjet and sainsbury's i've got a very consumer focused um kind of view as well so i think um i think the boat has really sailed in the past two years on this um people generally are much more aware of now issues impacting our planet and actually those issues having direct impact on their health and well-being so for example things like microplastics um, air pollution forest fires floods um, the way we farm and grow our food you know, consumers are really showing their concern for these issues and they're starting to really vote with their feet and the way they spend their money so switching to more sustainable behaviors more 
um, cycling has, has really picked up. You know, people are eating a lot less meat um, and looking for alternatives on that front. That has exponentially grown. If you go to the supermarket, you'll just see how much products there is um, to, to show that. Reusable goods as opposed to throw away plastics. So I think this shift that is impacting everything from occupiers has then now shifted to investors because they know that the occupiers want this and need this and are asking for it. Um, and then governments um, really need to take notice as well. I mean, they have done already, particularly at local level. We're seeing a lot of competition between different local governments setting um, targets around net zero. Some of, um, I think Nottingham was set at 2025, which is very ambitious. Um, and they really want to drive sustainability through the whole value chain. So that, so this is great news. You know, we've been asking for this for, for a long time, but I think it's the consumer that's really pushing us all now. Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, maybe maybe I can add to this. And I think I think this this ball is going to just accelerate more and more because I think the younger generations are really pushing the ball on this one. And if you look at corporates, they're getting the pressure both ways from the talent that they want to hire and the talent that they want to hire basically wants greener, a greener environment and also the shareholders and the shareholders are pushing also these corporates also to 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 be more sustainably and and climate friendly and that means that they're pushing again for their offices as a result to be greener and wanting to be in more environmentally friendly offices and at the end of the day the institutions that invest in those also want it to be green and they're getting it both from uh, the, their 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 pensioners for example if it's a pension fund or uh, if it's a university endowment fund it's students and that pressure is just accelerating. So I think a lot of points are converging uh, to make the industry really uh, sit up and, and, and take this seriously and, and, and get on with it. And it's fantastic. It is fantastic. And it seems that I would, being, of course, a um, pessimistic journalist, I would have assumed that given, you know, we are in some challenging economic times that this would have been pushed down down the agenda. But from the conversations that I've been having from this conversation, it seems like it's pushed up the agenda, which is, has got to be encouraging, hasn't it? Can I just say something about cost again? Um, yes. The, and, and to use other sense of industry, the, the, the major blocking point at the moment, and where I think there could be a, a, a much closer collaboration between investors and the industrial sector, is in why are things more expensive today to do a more ecologically conscious project. They're more expensive because the industrial um, systems are not in place. Uh, they're more expensive because people aren't willing to to develop better ways to reuse, recycle facade components, for example, or structural components for existing projects. So one thing we're looking at as as, as engineers is to is to work directly uh, with industrial people to to make the timber industry in Europe more economically viable uh, by you know scaling up the production capacity and, and 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 getting people around the table to make that industrial sector more efficient. We're working with facade contractors to to get them to take on board how to reuse glass better. But I think for for the people at the the the, the high end of the food chain and development to actually go and speak to the people at the very lowest end of the food chain. 
to see how collectively they could get that industrial system up and running to address uh, a, car, a low carbon economy would be quite a quite a, a game changer. I, yeah, I, I think, think um, so. I was going to say, I, th I think the construction industry in general has been one of the slowest uptakers in technology. And I think you consider the amount of waste that's produced through the construction stage. That really, I think the big change I, I hope is going to happen in the next five to ten years is is taking on technology and using BIM properly to minimise waste through construction. And I think that it has been one of the slowest industries really to pick up that sort of change to more advantage of digital technology. I think that's also starting to change in certainly the last five years. I think that's really going to pick up pace in terms of taking that down and moving away from common practice into best practice mm -hmm. and how that ties into to all, on, working on the site. Uh, and I think it is changing, but it, it will need to ramp up significantly to really kind of cut costs. The, the waste, which is a huge, but for those who are involved in the construction industry, waste is um, it's just a, still immense. It's getting better, but it needs to improve drastically. Thanks, Gordon. Claudine, you were you were going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say that we, we just don't have the infrastructure in place. So we need large material recycling plants and reprocessing infrastructure in place. And and maybe this is where government can start to play a role in in enabling that infrastructure to go in and incentivizing for that to happen. Because unless we've got that, you know, it, we'll just carry on doing what we're doing, which is very bitty and not connected. Um, and you know, enabling that to happen needs needs this kind of infrastructure. Is is there a sort of chicken and egg um, situation here that um, we need more people to to be doing doing things to enable the cost to come down, to enable the investment that is is needed in the infrastructure? Maybe, um, but I, I think it's more than that. I think it's about how we actually build our business models so mm. a manufacturer of um i don't know uh, cement uh, they well concrete they think about extracting from the ground they then build their product and then they sell it and that's where it ends mm. whereas if they had responsibility all the way through the chain for then taking that back and remanufacturing that then that would start to change things. Some of that's happening, but it's not happening at, at scale. So that brings us to the, the the mindset question, doesn't it? And that and I wonder if the the change of mindset is really about the change of response responsibility. You use that word, Claudine, which I think is, you know, responsibility is a is a, a really powerful um tool, isn't it? If you feel responsible for something you tend to um, behave a bit, bit better and 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 more carefully. It, it, is that is that how we're going to change the the mindset and change it fast enough? Gordon, I, I, st I still I, I I think Colin's point about regulation is is, is really quite important. So I think while. We all we all want to feel as if everybody acts responsibly, not everybody does or, or takes the same sort of kind of values uh, towards sustainability. Uh, and I think really you have to drive that home. And I think that the regulation point is quite important because leading by example is one thing, but I think unless you raise the minimum bar of acceptability and take that as high as you can, 
uh, it, you're really relying on a huge mind shift because I think once you get into the way how people think it's, it's quite often different from how they act mm. uh, and quite often yeah. you know, I, I, I think that's where, where government and state-led sort of leading by example but also setting that bar a, 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 a high minimum you know uh, I think that that's a really kind of quite important leverage way to kind of enforce that it's moved forward but I think the, the general public perception is it's all positive, but it's individual actions quite often different. And that's where the real cultural mindset has to change. Uh, Great. Yeah, I, I, I agree with Gordon. And, and, you know, I mean, when we when we invest in buildings or when we're developing buildings, we're trying to design for compliance with all kinds of energy standards, etc. And really, we can only do so much, but then the actual operation of the buildings, that's really up to the tenant. And and it's mm. trying to basically bridge that gap between the design intent and the actual operations and getting the tenant to use our buildings uh, in, in an environmentally friendly way. That's that's also very important part of the equation. Yeah. And that's that's about collaboration, isn't it? And and and, and teamwork and if we are as a entire industry, as an entire populace, to make a make a change and really combat this, every everyone um, needs to be involved and committed and and really think about what they're doing. Yeah, I mean it's, it's such a high target to achieve, and it's an incredibly high target to do. I mean, uh, some of the, the, the attempts by things like Glasgow to get to two, carbon neutral by two thousand and thirty, it's not a long time to do. But you know, if, if you, it, you're almost at, at the moment, if you're trying to really be cutting edge in terms of sustainability, there's a there's a real price premium you end up paying. I think it doesn't create a very level playing field in terms of, of general development. So if, if that bar is raised much higher, it creates a level of a much a much reduced gap between design excellence and sustainability excellence, and what is acceptable. Acceptable then must be of a higher level. Because we we can't continue to meet the, even with the current regulation we have, which is getting stricter, uh, uh, it's just still not there yet. Okay, fantastic. And I, I guess to to round us off, um, I think I often end these these kind of discussions on a are we going you know are we going to make it? And uh, this one I want to <laughs> want to I mean to 2050 and net zero, not you know sort of the the big question of life of are we going to make it um but for for this i'd like to sort of finish with um how, what's the one piece of regulation or behavior shift that you think is needed for us to really create that level playing field so we can hit the targets that we've set ourselves uh colin i'm going to start with you then i'm going to go arif claudine and finish with gordon uh, I would say um, c collective engagement, uh, both economically uh, and industrially, to to have the largest influence possible. Fantastic, thank you, Colin. Arif, I think it's teamwork, right? I think it's working mm. between government, investors, architects, designers, and users. And if we are able to get a forum where all these participants sit together and work towards that goal, I think would be, be fantastic. 
Thank you very much. Claudine. I think it's about us really um, focusing on circular economy and how we make our economy and the way we think and the way we invest um, in, in a much more circular way as opposed to linear, which is what it is at the moment. Thank you very much. And last, but by no means least, Gordon. Yeah, I, I, it's quite volatile, the same sort of things, but I, I think there's almost that proving that the, the benefits offered you know, it's a sense of the well-being that there's a there's a genuine benefit to this to the general populace. It's not an it's not an expensive want to be. You know, there's some real kind of benefits to how we live to actually move this forward. I think if that gets across to people, then that will actually be a, a big part to moving the 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 momentum towards it because uh, that pushes the political body to act. Genuine benefit. I like that. And, you know, this is a trajectory that we cannot we cannot get off. We can't turn it back. We have to we have to move it forward. It's uh, it's not something that we can just switch off. So um, thank you so much for all of your insight during during this discussion. I know it's the kind of uh, topic that we could talk about for hours and hours and hours and there will be more of these discussions going forward but for for now a huge thank you from me to Gordon, Claudine, Colin and Arif. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the EG Property Podcast. We hope you found the content insightful and helpful. If you'd like more of the same and to keep up with all the latest news, views, analysis and research that the EG Group has to provide, be sure to sign up to all of our property podcasts and subscribe to Radius Data Exchange for unlimited access to all of our content and comprehensive commercial real estate data. Thank you.